Welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. This is a weekly podcast about all things Port Adelaide Football Club. I'm your host for this evening, Macca19, and with me is regular co-host Fishing Rico4. How you going, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Macca. What about you? Yeah, good as always. Um, and also joining us this evening is someone that's got a long history in giving his opinion on all things Port Adelaide on the internet, um, dating back to the old Usenet bulletin board days. Um, he's been on Big Footy for about 12 years now. We're talking to KC. G'day, uh, Port Board, uh, Maka, Fishing Rick, how is everyone? Good, good. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I feel archaic, mate, being around the internet <laughs> for about 15 years on the forums. Oh, it's been a long time, hasn't it? It certainly has. I remember you and Asgardian from those Usernet days and then, uh, you know, getting brought over to Big Footy when it was a barren wasteland. Yeah, I remember <laughs> there was about four people that used to post on Big Footy in the Port Board when I joined, so... Yeah, it's amazing how it's grown. Mm. <laughs> all right, as we do with all first-timers on the on the podcast, we might find out about your history and how you came to support Port Adelaide. Sure. Uh, I've been supporting them for as long as I can remember, basically. Um, probably through my grandfather and mother's influence. Uh, grew up in the country, so we couldn't really get to the games and were a bit, I guess, less well-off, so couldn't afford membership. So I just supported them via TV and newspaper clippings and reading everything I could. Pretending I was Russell Ebert in the backyard with my brother, doing kick to kick. Um, and then eventually, by the time I was in high school, started going to school with uh, the likes of Stephen Carter, who's a, one of our sort of original AFL listed players. Absolute champion. Um, he was. He's a, he's a rough, rough ball, I reckon. <laughs> and uh, my brother played some under-19s at Port at the time as well, before he moved on to Centrals and North and sort of the country leagues. And, yeah, I started with them working during the 90s and uh, me and my mates started buying memberships and going to games through the 90s and haven't looked back since. Beautiful. All right, well, just a, a couple of questions just to find out a little bit more. Um, what was sure. your first game that you can remember? I can't recall my first SNFL game. I was just uh, too young. Um, the first power game was easy. It was around one versus Collingwood at the G. Well, we got absolutely thumped, but it was a blast because we are in the AFL and we didn't care. Uh, managed to get my mug on the Channel 7 News before the game in an interview. Um, Beautiful. So that was a bit of fame there for me. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite match? Um, I'm going to go to the obvious one there, or one of the obvious ones, which is the 2004 Prelim versus St Kilda. It's just a super crazy atmosphere. Easily the loudest ever I've heard at Amy Stadium. Um, after years of frustration, it all just got released at the end there when we finally made it into the grand final. But if I was to pick one which was a bit of an unknown game, which was my favourite, it would be in our first year, uh, 1997 round 12 against the Bulldogs at Princess Park. Uh, I Great think we were down by about 40 points at quarter time. And we slowly just got back into the game and we ended up running over the Bulldogs by about 12 points in the end. And to me, I just remember thinking at the time, you just never ride on Port Adelaide. And, you know, it's funny, we brought the slogan back, never ever give up. But I remember thinking that then in that game, it was just awesome. It is one of those real underrated games. I mean, no one really talks about it much anymore. But to come from, I think Bulldogs were top of the ladder at the time as well. So 
for the young upstarts to go over there at their own home ground and come from behind from 40 points down, um, fantastic effort. It was probably the only decent game that Nigel Figgett played for the club as well. <laughs> yeah, I was looking through the stats of that game and I saw his name pop up with three goals and I thought, oh, what else did he do for us? But, oh. <laughs> Not much. But um, the other thing about that is you think 40 points down, you know, um, and in today's game, that's nothing, you know, we've done it, you know, in a quarter and a bit in today's football. But back then, um, that was a huge margin at the time. Definitely, definitely. And uh, your favourite player, either past or present? Uh, Well, he's known as Super Gav in our household, and I've got a floor-to-ceiling poster sitting right next to me of him. (laughs) So uh, the one and only Gavin Wangling. But again, if I was picking someone a bit not so common, I was a big Dale Pool fan when he Lee. first came in. Yes. The raging bull. Yeah, he was a you know, fantastic player for a guy who's basically blind out of one eye. Yeah. What about yeah. David what about David Brown? Did you have a soft spot for David Brown? Uh, not too much. No, I mean no? Res- respected him, but uh no, I was always a fully fan, needy fan, you know. Hodges, obviously, I know Macca just loves Hodges, but yeah. We could do a whole podcast just on Hodges, I reckon. (laughs) Absolutely. And Stephen Cutter as well. (laughs) All right, well, we might move on um, and start talking about trades. Uh, Not much has happened in the last week. Um, the Polek trade is still going on. Um, it seems to ebb and flow every day. Um, the news out of Melbourne seems to be that he's going to choose a club tomorrow. I think a lot of people are expecting that to be the Crows. Um, KC, what do you think about that, mate? Um, I like Polek. I like, I like his skills, but uh, I don't want to pay overs for him. And I'm happy just to wait it out um, off a pick uh, 30 or 32, whatever it is gets down to once the compensation picks come into play. Um, does anyone know, if he picks the Crows, but the Crows can't come to the party for Brisbane, can he then change his preference and, and um, agree to a trade to Port for pick 30? Yeah, I mean, it's not set in stone. I just think it would be a bit embarrassing if he comes out and sort of says, I want to go to the Crows, and then has to sort of backtrack and say, oh, no, I actually want to go to Port now because the Crows can't get it done. That would be um, a bit of a Nick Stevens sort of move, I think. <laughs> Well, Absolutely. Well, to me so far, he seems a bit like a... Just through his tweets and that, he seems a bit self-centred and almost a bit of a Nick Stevens character, character at the moment, so... I actually really like his tweets. I reckon it's taken the piss out of um, the sort of trade game a little bit, which is good, because a lot of people take it a bit too seriously, I think, and he's having a bit of fun with it and something a bit different. No one's ever really done that before, Um so, yeah, yeah. So something a little bit interesting. I like a for entertainment value, but I just think it's it's got a lot of come back and bite you on the bum uh, factor about it. True, true. Yeah, but how old is he? He's, what, 20, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Something like that, yeah. yeah. 20 or 20-year-olds. Yeah. When, when do you think of the consequences of your actions when you're 20 years old? And of course, we're uh, we're still in the market for a key forward. Um, Gumbleton seems to be probably the most likely pick out of that. 
Um, and even then, it's still unsure whether we might actually get him or not. Um, Rick, your thoughts on Gumbleton possibly coming over? Uh, well, I, th- I think I posted earlier in the week, you know, do we look at maybe Gumby with our second pick and and offering Pollock with our first and, and swapping the sort of second rounders or something around, or taking Brisbane's second with the Pollock? And I'm sort of, I'm open-minded to it, but I'm, I'm sort of nonplussed. Either way, I mean, as as everyone's pointed out, his injury issues are, uh, are hideous. And Ford had a Ford Fairlane had a good stat during the week. I think what was it? He he didn't win one contested contest or something statistically. So I mean, that's not setting the world on fire for a, a key position forward. So I mean, and it's very similar to Pollock and, and Butcher. I mean, how long do you run on reputation before sometimes you've got to you've got to deliver something? So I mean. We could probably roll the dice with him, and we need another key forward, whoever that is. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not going to be crying if uh, if we don't get him. I saw that key state you're talking about that Ford put up, and I was actually absolutely shocked about it. I just never thought that would have been the case. The um, no contested marks. Um, but as you say about his injury issues, I was having a look at his injury history, and I think back when he played about 17 games, I think it was in 2011. He then suffered a, some broken ribs and a punctured lung, which isn't too bad when you think of that as an impact injury. But his main ish, injuries this year seem to be uh, some hamstring injuries and back-related uh, disc problems there, which is a big red sort of red siren for me of stay away. Especially, you know, we've seen the difficulties we've had with Butch and getting him on the park. I'm not sure if we want two, two uh, players on our list in that same position. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I think Gumbleton's got a lot of talent. Um, I'm just not sure he's ever going to realise that talent just because of his injury issues. Um, Whether we get him, it might take some pressure off Butcher um, if we can get them both fit at the same time with Schultz up there um, and also Westhoff as well. It'll give a chance for uh, Mason Shaw to develop a little bit more before he gets the pressure put on him. Um, I don't know. I think we definitely, as I've said before, we definitely need another key forward to come good um, to take that pressure off Schultz and, and give us a second or a third, you know, genuine marking target. Um, if Gumbleton's the best that we can get in that, then, you know, so be it. Um, we'll certainly welcome him to the club and, and hope he can do his best. So I've got another option perhaps to look at, and uh, it's been raised before, and I think uh, Pushing Rick might have a few comments here to add as well, but uh, Andreas Everett. Uh, from the Swans is apparently being shopped around and he's one I haven't seen lots of but what I have seen of him when he's played for the Swans I've been quite happy of what he's put out put out there for developing player and I wouldn't mind looking at him to be honest I think he's got the, the height and speed to to help out as a, a third key position forward around Schultz and Westhoff yeah, no, I just don't rate him. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I don't think I've ever seen, watched a game where I've seen him actually influence a game, to be honest. And, uh, you know, I think I'd be more excited by Gumbleton than uh, Everett. And, I mean, he's, I mean, he's still young, though, or is he still young? I, I can't even... I, do you know what his age is now? Oh, he's about 24, got... I think. Uh, I mean, I know the big guy is mature later, and because, uh, I mean, he's... He's a pretty tall fella, isn't he? He's about 197. Well, he's no, he's 194 centimetres. He's probably the tallest uh, small defender I've ever seen. 
probably, because he doesn't <laughs> really play toll at all. I'm not sure he's a... I don't know how he'd go playing as a key forward, because at the Swans, he tends to sort of creep forward a little bit, but most of the time he's playing in defence, in sort of that re- sort of uh, defensive 50 area. Yeah, I'm not happy with his defensive side, but I think as a, as a forward... I don't think we're needing to be that game-winning forward if we've got Schultz and Westhoff and our small forwards around. We just need someone to compete and who can bring others into the game. And then it just can put some pressure on the Butcher to you know, make it, earn his spot into the team and, and give some time for Butcher and Shaw to develop underneath them. That's why I'd be looking at him. I think we could probably get him pretty cheap as well. So does, does no one actually... Is no one convinced that Redden could be... Um, the third forward for us, because so, we seem to be, everyone seems to be talking about looking outside, and I still wonder if uh, we just focus on trying to develop Jared a bit more this year. No, I'm totally sold on that idea. Um, I'll, I'll give a shout out to another Port board member. His name is Port, uh, Port Fan36, I think it is from memory, uh, but he's a colleague of mine, and um, he apparently has some insider information from our, our fitness guys who and they rate Redden as a forward as one of the best sort of key position forwards of, we've got on our list. So we could pursue that, but whether we take him away from Ruck um, to do that or not. Yeah, I think Loby's probably locked in his, uh, his chances for number one Ruck. Uh, next year with uh, how he finished this year. We'll talk about him a little bit later on. Um, I think with Redden, my issue with him as a proper key forward is he's quite cumbersome. He he doesn't seem all that quick. Um, So if he's not going to take a mark, um, he's pretty much dead in the contest, in my opinion. You've got got Jay Schultz, who's obviously quite speedy. And obviously then you've got your, your, your far smaller forwards, that could probably cover for that and apply that defensive pressure um, when he's on the ground. I just think, I just think, uh, I mean, and he might still get a bit of speed because he's still young and getting his fitness base up. But uh, you know, and it, with the with the changing to the uh, to the interchange rules as well, if we develop Redo to be that that third forward, it sort of helps our tall structure because um, with Westhoff playing up the ground all the time in that floating role, we always lose that. Um, that second key forward. And the problem with that as well, because he sort of plays as a running player, it means we almost need to carry another tall player, you know, and then how many tools can we can we have? We can't really ca- put in Butcher and Redden and Loby and Westhoff, you know, with the other ones. It's just it's probably then we're too top-heavy. So I guess Redden would give us that flexibility in the rut that perhaps maybe Butcher won't give us. Yeah, look, he's also got form um, playing as a key forward. Um, I know in his underage um, years, he he did end up best on ground in a couple of finals playing as a as a key forward. I think he was uh, also best on ground in a reserves final um, playing as a key forward. And I think at SANFL league level, he's had a few mini bags of four or five goals on a couple of occasions as, as well. So he does have form in that area. And look, if he could become that sort of marking tall full forward even and end up kicking 30 goals for the year and um, helping out in the ruck, that would be that would be perfect, really. So if we go using for that role, or if we're looking at using for that role, then do we need to shore up our ruck stocks beyond Loeb and Renouf? Or, and, and target someone like Stanley? I think 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be able to get Stanley, to be honest, just because of the whole McAvoy thing. We'll talk about that in a little moment as well. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, th I think our best course of action will probably be to uh, to draft a young ruck. That would probably be the way that I'd go with a late pick um, to see if there's a couple of young ruckmen out there. Um, there's a guy called McKinnon on the table, apparently. Yeah, I'm, I would... <laughs> Much rather probably redraft uh, Barnaby French, to be honest. Well, what's your other one that people put up that you love, Macca? Thorpe? Thorpe. Well, he's not a ruckman, so that's all right. But I still wouldn't touch him with a barge pole either, to be honest. But there was... Um, oh, so I can't remember who brought it up. I'm, I apologise to everyone. But there, someone brought up the uh, in the draft, there was uh, a, young, a young possible ruckman... In the third round, that might be available. Sub with an N, um, a Pisky or something like that. I think it was, but um, oh, Nankovis. You know, yeah, that's the one. Thanks. Oh, yeah, Nankovis. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm keen to. Uh, I think maybe we just go to the draft. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't think there's maybe going to be enough there to really add to our list, and how much more do we need to add anyway? So maybe let's just go the normal draft way. I'd be, and I'd also be keen to have a look at that Marsh that. Um, that tore up the uh, the draft camp. He he put in some amazing uh, stat times for a you know a taller fella in that bon, Bonta Pelli. Um, you know, I yep. think they might be ones to look at maybe instead of throwing everything away on some players that maybe want to come, don't want to come, or whatever. I think um, yeah, if if worse comes to worse and we do have to go through the draft, I'm pretty positive we'll pick a couple of really good players with our first couple of picks. So. Yeah, that's certainly not a bad track to take if it comes to... No, that. I'm totally comfortable with that approach as well. And maybe that's what the club is going. I mean, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes and a lot of the rumour in your window is obviously just made up. But, um, you know, obviously the club's not falling over themselves to throw up our draft picks, um, you know, using Pollock as an example. So maybe they're taking the same stance. Well, if we don't get them, well, who cares? We'll just get something in the draft. Yep, that's fair enough too. Um, we might have a quick chat about some of the other trades that are going on um, across the AFL. Obviously, the biggest one in the last um, week has been the Ben McAvoy trade to Hawthorne. Um, he went to Hawthorne in exchange for uh, Shane Savage and a first rounder, which has gone back to St Kilda. Um, it was one that sort of came out of nowhere, really. No one really thought it was going to happen. Um, everyone assumed that Billy Longer was going to go to Hawthorne to fill that ruck void once uh, Bailey retired. Um, but McAvoy really snuck in there and, uh, and has come from the clouds there. Um, Casey, I might start with you on that one, mate. Um, no, like you said, it just took everyone by surprise. Um, I think Hawthorne have done a good job getting him in. McAvoy, I rate him as a, uh, as a ruck. I liked his work at St Kilda. Um, but I can't really... Yeah, Savage, um, he's... Uh, doesn't spit some spurts, but I haven't really seen enough of him to form a great opinion of him, so um, can't really add too much more to that one. Rick? <laughs> well, no it's comment. similar to... <laughs> no, well, it's similar to our scenario with the... Um, I've always got a comment, Macca, come on. Um, <laughs> but it's similar to our scenario with Redden and, um, and Lowe. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, McAvoy's a lot more developed, but... You know, it's going to be interesting to see how Hawthorne uh, are going to carry the two rucks because 
I mean, McAvoy didn't really do too much up forward. He was more or not just a number one Rutman, wasn't he? So, but yeah. you're right, it did really come from the clouds. I wasn't expecting it. And the first thought I thought was, Fleet Hawthorne, you know, it's a great deal for them. You know, that's just what they need. And uh, probably better than drafting longer, to be honest. So he's still unproven. Um, and they get a, a good mid-age, mid-20-age uh, Rutman, you know, for, for a late first-round pick, which they probably identify that they don't need, you know. What was it in the, uh, you know, after the grand final, they're talking about how they're going to create this big never-ending dynasty of success through their new system that they've got. So they probably don't need to recruit juniors anymore. But, you know, good luck to them and good luck to McAvoy. See how it goes. Yeah, I think it's probably a a mutually beneficial deal, really. Um, I think McAvoy to Hawthorne, that's a a really good effort for them. Um, I think he's probably going to end up, I, personally, I'm not someone that rates McAvoy's actual ruck work all that highly. I think he gets thrashed often. Um, he can't jump. He, he has a lot of trouble in sort of directing his taps. Um, but he's still probably going to end up being the best ruckman Hawthorne have had over the last probably seven or eight years since Spider Everett um, moved to Sydney. Um, he's certainly better than sort of Hale and Bailey and, and Renouf and Campbell, all those sort of guys that have filled their, that void for them over the last few years. Um, and I guess whether you think St Kilda's done a really good job or not um, depends on how you rate sort of Shane Savage. And I'm someone that thinks that Savage is just in need of an opportunity to, to really um, take a chance as a, as a first-string player. I think he'll do a really good job. And for St Kilda to end up with another first-round pick, um, that'll probably give them you know three or four picks inside the top 20 uh, or 22 once uh, Dal Santo leaves as well. Um, I mean, that's just basically an instant rebuild rebuild for them, um, which is exactly what they'd be after, because they need all the help they can get in terms of young talent. Yeah, what pick are they getting? 17, roughly, or 18? Yeah, well, yeah, I think it would be 18, depending on the buddy uh, compensation, so either 18 or 19, I would think, for that one. Um, The other big talking point is uh, Heath Shaw looks likely to go to GWS. Yeah, look, I think it's uh, Heath Shaw, I think everyone knew happily, Collingwood, is a bit of a destructive force in their defence there. Um, Montreux took into the cleaners in both games they played this year. I think it was a good pick-up for GWS. They need they need that experience, especially down back. They've got Phil Davis and um, a few other young players, but they just need that experience and leadership to help them, you know, keep things under control on the field. Uh, I think their forward line is in good order. The midfield's Okay, but I think the defence just really needs some shoring up, so Heath Shaw do the shoring up. Yeah, it's a good pick for them. Um, when he's not being an absolute wanker, he's a really good player. So I think uh, a four- or five-year deal might be might be stretching it a little bit, but, um, I mean, let's face it, the ball's going to be down there quite a bit still next year and probably the year after as well. Um, and sure, someone that has proven he can be a, a fantastic rebounder from defence. Um, so that can only help their side, really. Um, I think it's a really smart pick-up. Um, and it looks likely that uh, Taylor Adams might go the other way and go to Collingwood, uh, which would really shore up their young midfield depth quite well for the future. So as we've done the last couple of weeks, we'll um, start cracking yep. on onto our, uh, our player reviews again. Um, we've got another nine or ten players to review this week. Um, starting with Tommy Jonas. He's someone that came from the clouds this year. 
Um, he played a few games in 2011 and 2012, really impressed as a, as a sort of a defensive tagger. Um, but this year he really made his name as a key defender, um, playing probably out of his weight division for a lot of the year. Um, he did play some games on smalls, um, but a lot of the best work that I thought he did was on um, tolls this year. Um, Rick, how did you see his year? I'm a massive fan of Tom Jonas, and I thought he had a fantastic year, and he's become very uh, instrumental for us uh, in a defensive half. And you know, I'm, I'm looking at the stats on the on the website for his season, and really the stats don't mean much to me at all in relation to Tom. It's just been the way he influences the play. His third man up has been fantastic, but his, just his hardness at the contest uh, for the whole year, and uh, he's been great. And, and, I mean, that bump where he got robbed of three games was just a perfect bump, and he is just one solid unit now, and he's very, very reliable, and what a great pickup he's been. I um, Yeah, I'm just overwhelmed with emotion. I think I'm going to cry with my love for, for Tom. I did actually want to say something else, but it, it's just slipped me. So I'll wait for you guys to start chipping in, and uh, and then I'm sure it will come back to me, and uh, I'll uh, I'll think of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what else can you expect from the guy? Go- oh, that's what it was. Someone brought up this week, I can't remember who it was, but they spoke about Hawthorne not having any tall defenders, but players with speed and still being able to reach the ball. And I think that's what, what Tom's able to do. He's got a good read of the play. And, you know, even though he's not very tall, he still gets in there and he's still able to influence the contest. And uh, it, height doesn't really matter for Tom. And I'm looking forward to a fantastic year uh, for Tom next year. Yeah, I'll get a uh, slide over there in the Tom Jonas love beef with you there, Fishing Rick. I absolutely love this year. Um, like you said, statistically, it was quite similar to last year. But just watching him play, he seemed a lot more self-assured and reading the play and rebounding aggressively out of the defensive 50. He just seemed to take a lot more ownership. Um, up until that point, he got suspended. I think that really robbed him of some of that assurance. And when he came back, he, he seemed a bit hesitant in his uh, few games after that suspension. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Um, I think he's yeah definitely one of our success stories for the year. One of the reasons why we jumped up the ladder as much as we did. Um, and it started early on in the year. Um, the game he played against Taylor Walker in the first showdown was fantastic. And when he went on to him after half-time, really shut him out of the play. Um, obviously, he had a number of fantastic games throughout the year. I thought probably his game against St Kilda was close to his best as well, even though he got suspended that game. Yeah. Um, and, of course, his final against Collingwood, that first half was just magical by him. Yeah, no, I agree. Everything is, everyone said there. So hopefully he can continue it next year. I mean, year. the only injustice... Yeah, well, that's right. And, but the only injustice for Tom was getting three weeks for that hip and and shoulder where there was nothing wrong with it at all. You know, that's the only blemish and that's not his fault for the year. If I had one more criticism, and it's not specifically for Jonas, it's more for our entire small defenders, it just seems that as a defensive six, we seem to struggle a bit when the ball hit the deck to kill the ball and bring it away. I thought we got exposed a few times um, when we'd often kill the contest in the air and bring it to the ground. Um, some uh, crumbing goals just seem too easy for the opposition. Uh, I think we need to focus on that a bit as a defensive six. So yeah, that's my yeah. work on this for next year, Janice. Yeah, I think that's a very fair call. 
actually. That's a, that's a very good point. So next player on the list is Matthew Loby. He's someone that had uh, quite a bit of a different year this year. Um, he started all right, um, playing as a probably second ruckman behind Redden. Um, but his year really came to the fore when Redden got injured um, mid-season. He was out for the rest of the year. Loby came in and just absolutely dominated in the ruck from around about round 12 onwards. Um, he played as pretty much the sole ruckman for the rest of the year. And if he had have played as the sole ruckman for the whole year, he probably would have gone pretty close to the best and fairest, in my opinion. He had a number of games where he was close to best on ground. Um, KC, how did you see his season? Mate, his dream team price went up 120000 over the year, so I was ecstatic about that. <laughs> um, nah, I think he's now a number one ruck, without question. Um, like you said, he didn't really kick into gear until round 12 when he was given the sole responsibility. And I think that's historically been something, um, a bit of a trend for Ruckman. You know, when you uh, historically play two Ruckman, you know, sometimes they both struggle a bit. But as soon as one of them, you know, goes down with injury and the other's handed the main role, they seem to, to lift consistently. Um, and he, he did that from round 12 onwards. Um, his hit-outs just went through the roof. He was averaging 18 last year, gone up to 23 as a season average for this year, but if you just take into account round 12 onwards, it went up even further to about 33 hitouts, which put him in the top five ruckman in the league, I think. But not only that, his tackling was just ferocious. I mean, he had um, 15 tackles versus Fremantle and 11 versus Sydney, which was just huge. So, yeah, no, I loved his, loved his season. You don't really get that much from ruckman um, tackling, but, you know, I think that's a real key to his, uh, a real strength to his bow. Matty Loby is just his ferociousness at the contest. Um, he's happy to get his uh, his hands dirty. Um, he'll chase the ball if it comes to ground. He'll, he'll pick it up. He'll kick it forward. Um, and if a player's in his way, he'll, he'll absolutely crunch them as well. What's interesting, though, is um, Casey, what you were saying about the tackles was even a couple of years ago when he got a couple of opportunities and he wasn't showing that much. One thing he did show, though, was the ability to get in and get his hands dirty, as you were saying, Macker. And, and I guess now that the rest of the game's evolving, um, you know, he's becoming a more mature player. And, I mean, if you look at his physique now, uh, he looked like a, a man out there amongst the men and he competed like a man. And he, I think he's only going to get better. And, uh, you know, the club took a first-round pick on him and it just shows that the big boys take a long time uh, to develop and I was really happy with the way he progressed in the second half of the year and uh, I'm really optimistic uh, that he'll be our number one ruck next year and again I agree with what you're saying Casey it always seems to be especially with ruck that there's always one dominant ruckman that seems to flourish with the majority of the game time. So that's why I find it really important if we can get Redden back into uh, maybe that forward role. But in relation to Lobie... I was going to say, I remember a similar thing happening with like Barnaby French. He was a backup ruckman. As soon as he got given the number one role, he just went on leaps and bounds before we traded into Carlton. And I think Dean Brogan as well went through a similar some sort of increase in responsibility and increased output. Personally, I didn't think Matty Loby had this in him. Uh, it was only 12 months ago where he was getting kind of thrashed on a weekly basis and giving up 60 hit-outs to um, Sam Jacobs for the Crows and all that sort of thing. And you know, he, he really turned his career around this year. He, he probably needed to do it. Um, 
the club had a fair bit of patience with him, and you know he's really paid dividends. Um, and look, I think he's you know it, it's pretty clear he's locked in that number one ruck roll for next year, um, and hopefully he can have um, a full season just how he did uh, the end of this season. Um, so moving on, the next player on the list is Tommy Logan. Um, good old Mad Dog. He's one of the players that, uh, you know, as it's come out this year, he's lived on one-year contracts for the last five or six years. Um, a lot of people probably thought he should have been delisted at the end of 2012. He got another chance this year. He only played about eight or nine games, but he every time he came in, he, he really performed his job um, and his role in the team well. Um, got plenty of the ball, used it well, um, and most importantly, um, he defended um, better than he has probably in the last two or three seasons. Um, Casey, how did you see uh, Tommy Logan's year? Um, yeah, like you said, he's probably he's just a depth player, and that's why I've always really seen him. And happy to have him in our side in, in our previous years where we were really struggling. But now that we're starting to get some quality mids, into our team and out on the field consistently, he's going to struggle to really keep his place. But then again, he pulls out a blinder like he did against Collingwood in the finals and you just think, he's just built for the finals. So, um, like I say, he's going to be a depth player, um, but he'll be one of the first first ball pulled in if there's a, sort of a position available, I think, just because he, he you know what you're going to get from him. No, you're I think right. he gets... Yeah, I think he gets a bit of a rough deal sometimes. Um, sure, his disposal sort of in previous years hasn't been great. He can sort of go in kamikaze-like without actually thinking of the consequences. Um, tends to knock himself about a bit too much and and can leave himself a bit concussed and sort of on the bench and, you know, puts the rest of the team under pressure. Um, but this year I thought, you know, he, he really sort of pulled that back and, and was a bit more mature about how he went it when he got a chance. Yeah, no, I agree with that, Macca. I think um, Ken and uh, Virgo and Adam Richardson have probably really helped these sort of these fringe type players we've got just to eke out a little bit more from their from their skills and their abilities. Well, I thought his disposal and his decision making this year was probably been the best I've ever seen from him. So I don't know if that's um, attributable to Burgess and the uh, extra fitness base, but. Um, I really bagged out on him over the years with his disposal and decision making, but I thought he really stepped up. You know, no, I wouldn't if he was picked in the first twenty-two come round one. I wouldn't begrudge him of his place, considering uh, uh, how he finished off the back end of the season. Yep, I think he's got a uh, another contract for next year, another one-year contract. Um, do we see him staying on for two thousand fifteen, or do you think uh, two thousand fourteen might be his last? Um, I think he's got still a few more years past that. He's 28 at the moment, so he'll be 29 next year. So I think it will just come down to a year-by-year sort of uh, review and analysis. He probably deserves a two-year sort of contract just to give him that security at the end, I think, just from his loyalty and dedication. He's almost Jared Poulton-like, because I'm pretty sure that Poult's uh, lived off one-year contracts for pretty much his whole career as well. <laughs> yeah, good call. All right, next player on the list is uh, is one of our rookie list players, Kane Mitchell. Um, good old Lord Farquhar. He uh, he came to the side as a Sandover medalist um, last year in the Waffle. Um, he managed to get into the side for round one. He played about 10, 10 or 12 games for the year. Um, didn't have much of a go at the SANFL. He was either he was kind of the super sub for us uh, for a lot of the year. Um, Casey, how do you see him progressing next year? 
Um, like I think he really, really struggled with fit into a role so far. You know, as you said, a specialist sub so many times, in and out off the bench, emergency list. So I think it took him a while to get settled. But it's great to see him really perform in that specialist role, sub role there for a few games. Um, I think you could visually see his kicking skills playing on his mind in some games, and I'd just like to see him just back himself in. And just if the kick's there to be made, take it instead of trying to either hand pass out of it or run around it or, or something like that. Um, I think he might struggle for place as a specialist sub in 2014, especially now we've got Matt White on board. Um, yeah, so that's where he, he's at at the moment. Could you argue that he's sort of an upgraded uh, Simon Phillips? Uh, Probably. Uh, I mean, that's what I see in him. And, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful to Kane, but um, he was sort of a bit of an enigma for me. I thought if the, at the start his sub-games were fantastic and then he got an opportunity with full games and then in the full games he just sort of he disappeared. And, and then as the season wore on, he'd become a bit more fumbly and, and sort of overran the ball. And, you know, his effort was there and you can see that he's a, a fit player um, but uh, he just seemed to, to lack that polish. And it just reminded me of, uh, of that former player, but you know, obviously he got a little bit more ball, and I just can't understand why. I mean, unless it's just the role in the team and it's unfamiliar to him, but it, I just can't see how, how he couldn't transition from that, that sub position uh, where he was getting a bit of an influence to the full game where there was minimal influence. And you know, if, he, if he keeps that output up, I, I think he, he's going to struggle game times because obviously if you're going to play a full game you need to be uh, influential No, I agree uh, I guess another role he might be able to play in the future is possibly as a, a gut running tagger taking over from a Kane Corns type role in the future I think we experimented with him in that type of role against West Coast was it in the pre-season um, and his fitness might be able to seem well suited to that type of role going forward yeah, look, I think that's a pretty good call. Um, it is possible that he might end up as a tagger in the future. I think even in a couple of games this year, he did sort of try and play that role. I think Ken might have put him in, in a bit of a tagging role a couple of times um, for a bit of mixed success. I think personally, he's, he's probably going to be up against it. I think it's pretty clear he, he leaves everything out on the park. Look, he, he absolutely goes at it 100%. And good on him for getting this far. Um, whether he becomes a, a full-time AFL player, I'm, I'm not too sure he's got the skill level to be able to pull that off. Um, I think to have a player that really doesn't have that great skills um, as Kane does, even with his other benefits in his fitness and his pace, I just think his skill level is such that unless he can seriously improve it, um, it's going to really hold him back for a full-time job at AFL level. I think his size, though, might hold work against him in relation to that tagging role because uh, I saw him at the club one one day and, you know, what is he, about 5'7", five, 5'8", five, and, you know, he, he's not a very big guy and uh, would he, will he have that size to, to run with the uh, the key midfielders uh, and extractors that it might be a bit too far of a stretch for him? That's the only problem I might see. All right, moving on. Uh, next player on the list is Angus Monfries. Um, we recruited him as a free agent, our very first free agent last year from Essendon. Um, I mean, who really saw that year coming from Angus? Uh, he had his best year at AFL level. 
Um, he ended up coming sixth in the best and fairest. He finished tenth in our um, best and fairest award. Um, and he, he just had a super consistent year, whether he was kicking, kicking goals or taking marks inside 50. He was second in marks for the club for inside 50s and also goal assists or even pushing up into the midfield. He had a fantastic season. Um, Rick, how did you see his year, mate? Loved it. I loved it. I, I didn't. I wasn't convinced when we signed him, to be honest. I uh, I was like, yeah, vanilla. And um, and especially a four-year deal, I was thinking, geez, what have we done here? But um, how wrong could I be? Because uh, he was fantastic. He His influence all around the ground, which is what he was looking for, a bit more of a midfield role, um, was just fantastic. And, and I thought he provided a, a fair bit of leadership for, the, for our younger forward team as well. And I was very, very pleased um, to see how he performed this year. And I did the, I mean, the only criticism I thought of his game for the year would probably be his lack of confidence would, would set shots. It, it did seem to be quite obvious at times that um, he didn't really want to take them. Or, um, But other than that, uh, fantastic. And I just, fingers crossed, uh, hope that he can follow it up next year with uh, just an equally good year. And if he can, I think... He's going to drive us a long way to repeat finals. How dare you doubt my buddy there, Fishing Rick. He's, <laughs> he's my poor buddy for this year. I picked him at the start. Uh, and I just loved, <laughs> loved his year. Sorry, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, hard to ask anything more. Uh, just whether it be up, up the field. Sorry. <laughs> his goal kicking was great. Um I'd like to see him settle a bit more if he's got a set shot inside 50. Same with all our small forwards. We seem to look off a bit too much, but hard to criticise anything else. Um, hopefully he can get up the field into the midfield a bit more this in 2014, and hopefully Asada stay well away from my buddy. So, yeah, that's what I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, he definitely had the kicking yips earlier in the year. I think he sort of um, nutted them out um, by mid-season, and his end of the year in front of the six was pretty good. Um, and look, no matter what he does for the rest of his career, he'll always be remembered for that goal against the Crows um, in the showdown. Really. Yeah, I watched that highlights before we came on the podcast. That was just brilliant. Great stuff. And got to mention his seven goals against Geelong oh, at Cadenia Park. What a goal. Well. Next player on the list is Andrew Moore. Um, he's one of our midfielders um, that really sort of struggled in previous years to, to find a spot in the side. This year, it finally looked like he, he made a spot in the side his own. Um, playing as a midfielder, playing as a centreman, um, he really got to go after getting dropped um, sort of earlier in the year. Um, as we've said a couple of times, Ken Hinckley said something about if you, don't, if you don't chase, if you don't run after your opponent, you don't play. I still believe that that was directed towards Andrew Moore. He came into the side again a couple of weeks after that and really played a, a, a very consistent style of game for the rest of the year. Um, he had a couple of fantastic games against Collingwood, against Brisbane, and against Sydney. Um, Rick, how did you see his year, mate? Yeah, I think yeah, summation's pretty good there. He, he, they really made him earn his spot once they once they left him out of the team, and uh, you know he really had to show some very strong SA in a fell form to get back in the side. And but once he got in, I was I was very happy with his uh, performances. It seemed to me. Uh, you guys uh, might have picked up a bit better than what I did, but there seemed to be certain games where his possession count was less, but it was almost like they were playing him as a bigger-bodied tagger in the midfield uh, or a defensive midfielder 
uh, more so than an attacking midfielder. But I thought he really, once he came back and cemented his spot in the side, he really influenced um, uh, games and the team structure. And he and he started to win the supporters over. I, I remember at the start of the year, people were questioning him and willing to trade him off off the board and over to a new club. And, and as the season progressed, more and more, uh, more loving came for him. Pardon the pun, and uh, you know he uh, now he's starting to win over the faithful, and I'm glad he's uh, starting to repay the uh, pick nine faith that the club showed in him. Yeah, I agree. There, a lot of what both of you have said. Um, his his best season today, he managed to string string you know uh, thirteen odd games together. Um, just going back to his SAFL form, um, he won the sort of Player of the Week there three times before he got recalled to the team, so he definitely earned the call-up. And once he did, he yeah, there's some games he just was a beast in. Um, I think he can still occasionally go missing at times. In some games, you're just wondering where, where the hell he is. Um, but in other, others, he's, he was just a beast in the packs. And I just love his size for a midfield, midfielder. You know, he's about 188, 189 centimetres. I just love those tall midfielders. So um, I'm looking forward to watching him in 2014. He's probably one of the players I'm really going to enjoy watching. Hopefully he can continue on and string together a full season and just uh, keep going up. I think he's got the talent and also probably the confidence now to really push his game up into that sort of becoming an A-grade player and, and really living up to his draft ranking. Um, I know I've said a couple of times now, but he's... Probably the number one player that I'm really looking forward to seeing next year, just with another year under Burgess, another year in the weights room, um, trying to get him super fit and turning that sort of defensive-minded player into more of an attacking goal-kicking midfielder, which he can do, which he's proven he can kick goals before. Um, It's just a matter of him doing that on a consistent basis in 2014. All right, moving right along. Uh, Next player on the list is Jakey Need. Um, He's someone that I had pretty much no expectation for at the start of the year when we picked him up. I thought um, he's an 18-year-old that we've got uh, through the the sort of GWS trade with Homsch, um, who's very small, very short. I thought, this guy's going to spend a couple of years in the SNFL reserves. How wrong was I? Um, He played round one. He played a lot of games through the first half of the year. Um, He did noticeably sort of tire through the second half of the season. But he had a, a massive impact at times throughout the year, especially against West Coast and Sydney and Collingwood. Casey, I'll start with you this time. How did you see uh, Needy's game this year? Oh, Jakey Need, the half a pick, the steak knives. That's what I refer <laughs> to him as. You know, the bonus for the Hobbs, uh trade. Um, yeah, he just surpassed all expectations. And I think after his first few games, people were going, Hitchcock, you're never going to get back inside now, mate. Um, he's tackling defensive pressure inside the forward 50 it was just just electrifying you know um and early on in the season him and Wingard together just had this uncanny sort of instinct of knowing exactly where each other was and it just seemed to love setting each other up um he definitely did tie towards the end of the end of the year there and I think he had a three game stretch where he had I'm just looking at stats here now he had nine nine disposals in total across three games you know some of those might have been as a sub, but that is just still far too low. Um, yeah, just looking forward to him just getting a bit more consistent and keeping that pressure on. Um, and just being a bit more, again, with our small forwards, be a bit more confident in kicking shots on goal if he's got the chance to. So, Yeah, I thought he was fantastic. He um, 
I uh, I called him my little Blakey. My son's name's Blake, and I kept saying to Blake, you know, he's 16. You know, that kid there out there is playing AFL footy, and he's the same size as you, and he's running around with men on an AFL footy field. And then he, he I didn't care what Jake Mead did. Once he busted Dangerfield's nose, that was it for me. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 that was my highlight for the year with Jake. I didn't care if he fizzed out for the rest of the year. He did his job. And not, not only that, he did that tackle on Dangerfield as well where he took him to the ground grabbed his arm, pinned him, brought him down. For a little fella, he has got some strength about him. And, uh, you know, I think that's what makes AFL football so exciting is you've got such a difference in player types that can play our game. I mean, you've got Aaron Sandlands at, what, 211 centimetres, and, and then this little kid at 68 kilos running around bringing adults down to the ground. And uh, I agree, he tied out. And a lot of people actually forgot about the fact that we're still in development mode as well and uh, and so everyone was really ready to chuck him out straight away uh, but we still needed to get some game time in him and un- unfortunately he did tire out at the end and you know he had to go and he'll be back bigger and stronger next year and I noticed someone today on the on one of the boards uh, was making reference to Tyson Edwards oh no sorry I'm going to be shot down for this it was actually on 5AA heaven forbid, um, and uh, Stephen Rowe was talking about Tyson Edwards making reference to the fact that um, he, he sees Jake Mead having another good four years in the system to develop, and uh, I think they were making reference to looking at Didac and saying no way to Didac because Tyson Edwards wants to pump more and more game time into, uh, into Jake Mead now that Tyson's taking over that forward role, and well, I can only see uh, Jake coming on over the next couple of years and hopefully busting a, a few more Dangerfield noses. <laughs> well, he's just a masterclass in terms of forward pressure and we haven't really had that sort of player in the forward 50 for just about ever, to be honest. Um, and it's something that we've really lacked and something that Needy gave us um, in spades throughout the year. Um, I think, you know, he, he had a bit of a lull mid-season and pretty much everyone, myself included, expected him to be dropped. Um, but his two games against Sydney and Collingwood, against two fantastic opponents, um, just his ability to harass and harangue and cause turnovers was as good as I've ever seen from any player in those two games. Yeah, Especially I think considering he, he only had 12 disposals in each. Yeah, I think he won the uh, Rising Star nomination for that Collingwood game, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so, yep. Yeah, so that was, yeah. Well, where were that? Next player on the list is uh, Benny Newton. He's been on the list for three years. He hasn't actually debuted yet. Um, He's got a contract offer in front of him for next year as well, I believe. Um, He's someone that came on really well towards the end of the season. He's had a lot of injury issues over the years. Um, He's finally got his body fit, and he played pretty much the whole season in the SANFL for Port Adelaide Magpies. He moved over there at the start of the year. Um, and his second half of the season, he really started to show um, what the club sees in him. Um, Rick, I might start with you with this one, mate. Yeah, I uh, I uh, can't really comment on his form, but I mean, his SANFL form uh, coming to the end of the year uh, was pretty good. And I think sometimes as supporters, and I think I've said this in the past, we're too quick in writing players off. And, you know, some of these young fellas just need time. We drafted him with uh, injury issues, 
and um, you know, and obviously it's taken him time to get his body right. And now we're seeing under the right fitness regime that he was able to string games together, got into the midfield rotations with the uh, poor Magpies, and was able to develop a, a solid game as the game progresses. And um, hopefully uh, next year he starts off with that big form and he's pushing for senior selection uh, because an extra midfielder won't go astray for us next year. Yeah, I can't really add too much here. I haven't really seen a lot of him at NFL level at all, uh, aside from I read what I read in the uh, sort of player reviews, which he got sort of um, two NFL players of the week there. But, um, yeah, quite happy to have him as a depth player on our list and see what, you know, see what comes of him. He's still got plenty of time up his sleeve, so um, just sit and wait and watch, I guess. And the last player we'll do this evening is Cameron O'Shea. He's someone that uh, really probably shocked every single Port supporter this year. Um, a lot of people thought he should have been delisted at the end of 2012. The club obviously showed faith in him and uh, were absolutely repaid with that faith um, in drastic fashion. He finished in the top 10 in both the Port Adelaide and the Big Footy um, Best and Ferris. Um, also finished 8th in the Toots Hibbert um, Best Team Man Award as well. Um, he really came on as a as a quick sort of rebounding defender who was able to sort of drop in front of packs and take marks. Um, he kicked goals on a couple of occasions and was able to work through the midfield as a tagger as well. Um, Casey, I'll start with you with this one. Yeah, I've always I've always liked him actually, despite you know his early blunders in his career. You know their brain fade moments. I think with a lot of defenders, they need really need experience and game time to learn their craft. And that takes a few seasons to build up. And for for a number of years there, we just had a lot of new guys in our defence. You know, we had O'Shea, we had Jacobs, Jonas coming in. Um, you know, a lot, and Pittard was the other one I was thinking of. And, uh, and we're just throwing him into the deep end and expecting him to perform under pressure. And, and uh, the blunders always just stick out like dog's balls whenever we're watching a game and, you know, we sit there cursing him. But with some of them, they just need... A lot of them, they just need time, I think. And I was, I was happy to wait with him. And we've seen it this year that as the defence has become more stabilised and they're getting some games under their belts, so I think how many has he got now? He's probably up to about 30, maybe. So just checking. So he's up to 46 games now. So he's approaching that 50-game milestone. He just looks a lot calmer and confident now. Um, you know, we're getting a settled defensive six, and I think that's helping all of the defenders. They know where each other's going to be. Um, and I just love, he just reads the play so well and he's got pace to, to keep running throughout the game from, from start to end. So looking forward to his career. Uh, you're right there, um, Casey. And uh, I've got to say, I, I'm going to troll uh, Porsche and uh, Eddie here and say I was one of his biggest defenders. But um, seriously, they, uh, they stuck by um, uh, Cameron and, uh, you know, he really repaid the faith of all the supporters this year. And again, it just shows sometimes we're just too hasty with these young fellas and we just need to give them a bit of time. I mean, he got crucified um, 2012 in that Sydney game, you know, and he's he's still learning, you know, and they're all learning. And he, But he, he's starting to show us that he can read the play. He's got great endurance running from the half-back line. Um, his intercept marks are starting to come together. I thought his first that first final he was a fantastic player. Yeah. And 
the only the only real criticism of him, which will improve in with experiences, sometimes he he takes the wrong option or fluffs a kick coming out of defence. But as he just pointed out, he's only played forty games, so you know as supporters we've got to just accept the fact that that's going to happen, and we've just got to give this guy a bit more time. But I think he's starting to show in in say two more seasons that he is going to be uh, a top notch halfback flanker, and um, you know I think it's very exciting. Yeah, I mean, from making those blunders against Sydney to being our best finals player this year in, in the space of 12 months. I mean, he was phenomenal in the finals. Um, not even just against Collingwood, but his game in the semi-final against Geelong was, was fantastic as well. He was actually, a, we voted him the best on ground that night um, on the boards. Um, the thing I really like about him is his physical attributes. I mean, he's just super quick and super damn fit, like, so many times this year, towards the end of end of the games, he was still there, absolutely bolting out of defence, trying to create the play. Um, when everyone else around him seemed to be standing still or tiring, um, he was the one that was super fit and, and running it out to the end. Um, look, he's he's probably my favourite player at the moment, to be honest. Yeah, I think he's going to be a defensive gun going forward. All right, well that's uh, that's pretty much it for the evening. Um, Casey, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Um, just can I just uh, do a bit of a shout out here, sort of. Absolutely. Um, my mother-in-law passed away last night, so um, over in Canada. So uh, just like to say, rest in peace, Bev, and uh, we're thinking of you. That's uh, sorry to hear that, Casey, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah oh, it, it was coming for a while, so but um, yeah, not easy all the same. But thanks for having me on, guys. It's been great. So. No, it's been a pleasure, mate. Enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the company, and uh, uh, quickly before Macca jumps in and cuts me off, um, I know you like your fishing. Get out, <laughs> get out with the uh, get out with the family and enjoy the fresh air. And uh, and as I was saying earlier, uh, get some crab rakes and and go for a walk on the on the sand flats from Port Gawler onwards, and uh, go rake some crabs. It's good fun. My tip is wear some footy footy socks so when they try and attack your legs because I always seem to rake them into me and then I can't find them in the mud and then I'm attacking <laughs> attacking crabs and falling over in the water so wear footy socks and that way they won't bite your legs and they'll just grab onto the footy socks alright mate I'm loading it down now thanks for the no dramas <laughs> great tips there everyone um, <laughs> until next week go the power go the power So few have done for so long. They've taken the biggest scalp in footy. Bruce, there'll be a bit of noise here in a minute. They could get second spot still. They're a final four chance now. The colossus of the game has been beaten. It's the best win this club has ever had.